Grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text this morning is from the Gospel reading, these first words of Luke 17, the 12 and following. And as Jesus entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. This is our text, dear friends. In the text for this morning, in the Gospel reading, we've heard a bit about a particularly ugly disease. Now, like most diseases are ugly in their own ways, this disease is also very ugly. This one's especially ugly. It's harsh, you see, for the eyes to look upon. It's even harsher for the one who suffers from the disease, who suffers the consequential fallout of contracting the sickness. It's a disease that affects the hands and the feet and the eyes, too. It eats away at one's body, slowly but surely consuming it. And when left untreated, this disease leaves its victims with a loss of feeling and sensation. It leaves them paralyzed. Ultimately, it leaves them blind. And I'm not talking about leprosy. I well could be talking about leprosy, but I'm not. See, certainly so. The symptoms that were just named to you, they are indeed the symptoms of leprosy. It is an ugly disease to behold. It's uglier to live with. Leprosy is infectious. It affects the victim's hands and feet and eyes. The disease is known to consume the body and slowly destroy it. And left untreated, leprosy leaves its carrier without feeling or sensation, paralyzed, ultimately blind. All of these things are true of leprosy. But do you know that these symptoms are equally true and even more indicative of another and a greater disease? And this one's the most destructive. This one is the most pervasive and bar none, the most deadly disease of all. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about mankind's malady of sin. As one has well put it, sin is a leprosy of the soul which is far deeper than any leprosy of the skin could ever be. Sin. Sin, the leprosy of the soul. All ten of those lepers from the text, they had it, you've got it. I've got it too. Samaritan or Jew, American or not, it makes no difference. The disease doesn't discriminate. Rich or poor, it matters not. This disease is gender neutral. It affects you, no matter who you are, where you are, no matter with whom you spend or where you spend your days, this one affects you. Scripture tells us it's a a disease that affects us all. Now we'd like to think, in fact we'd love to think and believe that, that there's been a misdiagnosis, but the symptoms don't lie. I'm sure like any one of those ten lepers who would have brought that first aggravating skin lesion, that first aggravating but all too persistent skin lesion to the physician, or, or in their case it would have been to the priest, to take a look. And he, and he would have inspected it and taken a close look at that symptom. And having done so, he would have diagnosed it and then given the news that none would have wanted to hear Well, I'm sorry to say that, sir, is leprosy that you've got. Deny it as they might have denied it. 
fact remains the symptoms don't lie. And sin's symptoms, they don't lie either. Now they do vary. They widely vary, almost as widely as the people that sin infects. For some, the deeper sickness of that sin within has or, or does manifest itself in the breakdown of our bodies in leprosy, in the form of leprosy, or perhaps some other dermatological disease of some sort. It's cancer for some. Or it manifests itself in diabetes or lupus or arthritis or pneumonia or lymphoma, anemia or bulimia or MS or ADD or STDs or HIV or AIDS or OCD, all of these things, or complications and failings of the heart, or complications and failings of the mind. Maybe it's in one of these ways that it's affected you. You know what your medicine cabinets look like. And you see the undoing effect and the evidence of our sin within as it plays itself out in, in our lives in, in miscarriages and in our broken marriages and fractured families and bad memories and loneliness and friends, the list goes on and on and it's endless. This list of symptoms that testifies to us that the diagnosis of our sin is no misdiagnosis at all. It's right on the mark. And as was mentioned before, it doesn't take long to see that all at all to see that like the leprosy of, of the skin, this leprosy of the soul, too, it certainly affects our hands. The hands of those who are carriers. Sin affects the hands more specifically. Maybe we'd say that it affects what one does with his hands. So should we be surprised at all when we find that our hands, even from the earliest ages and, and stages, our hands so often do what we'd expect the hands of sinners to do. And like leprosy of the skin, we'll see also in, with the leprosy of the soul, we'll see that it affects our feet. More specifically, it affects the path that these feet walk so often instinctively. Tending away from the God-pleasing direction that they should walk. Truth is, like the leprosy of the skin, this leprosy of, of the soul... Two, it can leave us all too easily desensitized without feeling, really. As we would go along in life, sin untreated, we become numb over time. That's what happens. We become numb over time to our God-given conscience that's been given us to guide our hands and our feet. Like the leprosy of the skin, sin... Sin leaves man paralyzed, completely powerless of himself to help himself up and out of his condition. Paul reminds us of this in several places. Reminds us of our natural condition, that it leaves us without strength, he says. Leaves us powerless, dead, he says, in our trespasses. Sin leaves a man blind, unable even to see his own condition. Condition ultimately that's incurable by any human effort. So you see this leprosy of the soul, this one, it too, it's ugly to look upon. And you yourselves know it's far uglier to live with. 
Like it or not, we're much closer than perhaps we first imagined to those leprous ten in the text. But then, here comes Christ. Now he's got to come to them. He's got to come to lepers, for given the condition, lepers of the skin, and it's true of lepers of the soul too, are not allowed by the law to come to him. According to Mosaic law, those ten lepers, they were unclean, and he was clean. Lepers didn't belong in his presence, not in the presence of the clean. For this reason, they were removed from society and marked as unclean because, you see, they were regarded by society as those who were already dead. But comes then Christ Jesus to the living dead. We too are are closer to that leprous ten than maybe we first imagined. For them, from past reports, these ten have heard what he could do with their impossible disease. But they may not, not have been prepared for what he did do. He spoke to them. And that's it. He spoke to them. We're told nothing about him reaching out to them. We're not told that he touched them in any way. We're not told that he washed them as he had before, or rubbed mud upon them, as he did in other cases. He spoke to them. And only a handful of words, fewer words, one has interestingly pointed out, fewer words than there were leprous men. Go and show yourselves to the priests. Seven words in the English, in the Greek, fewer. Go and show yourselves to the priests. No crowd-gathering spectacular. No wow-manufacturing wonder. Just words. A command and a promise. The command, go. And the promise of healing, show yourselves to the priests. Now as a leper, you didn't go and show yourselves to priests to be pronounced clean unless there was something, some healing to show. And as yet, they saw with their eyes nothing yet to show, no healing yet that they noticed that they could see. They had only the word and the promise of Christ, that it was as good as done. Can you imagine these ten as they stood there, standing there after he's told them, after he's given them his word, go and show Can you imagine these ten standing there looking at each other, wondering, wondering whether in faith to go and just do it, as we heard last week, wondering whether in faith to go and just do it or in skepticism to stay put and to disregard that promise so as not to be burned again by empty promises that someone's made and promises that have gone undelivered. Well, Jesus bid them go. He bid them go and believe themselves to be clean, even though they couldn't yet see it for themselves. But nevertheless, believe themselves clean because and precisely because he said they were clean. He bid 
them go and show, go and act as, live as, live in faith as one who is clean precisely because with a few unimpressive words he said they were clean. Now friends, that's an awfully familiar crossroad for us too, isn't it? We're not so unlike that leprous ten. For us, it's so familiar because it's the same juncture at which we find ourselves each and every week. When we're assembled here, people as sin-ridden as we are, and after a week as sin-ridden and broken as it's been, that's the juncture at which we find ourselves too. Confessing our sin, calling out like them, we plead, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And we're left with his words. That's what we're left with. His words. No crowd gathering spectacular here. No wow manufacturing wonder. Just words. Words that join a command. To a promise. A command and a promise. For the sake of the, su of the suffering and death of Christ Jesus. You hear it said by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. I forgive you all of your sins. That's what you hear. Go, for your sins are forgiven you. That's God's command and promise. Seven words. Go, for your sins are forgiven you. Go and show, he's saying to us here and now. Go and live life believing that they are forgiven, even though your eyes don't see. Maybe you don't feel what faith sees, what faith knows to be true. That's the juncture. That's the juncture. That's where, that's where we stand today, right there, right here with that leprous ten. That's where we stand every time we hear that Christ-given promise that, that as we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us like he did them, cleanse us from all our inward unrighteousness. You've seen what Christ can do with impossible diseases. Don't you think he can do the same with our impossible sin? Would we stand in skepticism today? Assuming our sin to be too impossible, a condition to correct? Would we simply stand idle in life, rationalizing? Rationalizing that his words, they're probably not true. Or they likely lack the power to do what he said that they would do. Or, friends, or with those ten, would we go today in faith? Having heard his promise, would we go in faith from here, knowing the character of Christ? Knowing what he's capable of, would we now go with those ten convinced that because he said it, it's done. It was for them, wasn't it? Remember the text? Dr. Luke, the physician, reports to us, and I have to imagine that as Luke recorded this, he must have been amazed with his medical expertise, knowing how impossible it was, all the treatments of the day. Dr. Luke reports to us that as they went, they were cleansed. It's as good as done. 
So it is for you and me here too today. You hear that word of sin forgiven and you can go from here knowing. Knowing that it's done. Because friends, you know what he's already done. For you to deal with sin's curse. Scripture tells us. He's redeemed us from the curse. Having become the curse for us. And elsewhere, Paul says it this way. God made him who knew no sin, who knew no leprosy of the soul. God made him sin for us. So that in him we might become as clean and as holy as God. Perhaps you recall from several years ago, the Stephen King story. The Stephen King story, maybe some of you have read, had read it as a novel. Others perhaps had seen it in its movie form. It's called The Green Mile. It's a story set in the 1930s that centers around the character Paul Edgecombe, played in the movie by Tom Hanks. Paul Edgecombe's a Department of Corrections officer in charge of death row inmates at Cold Mountain Penitentiary in Louisiana. The story is told by an aged and elderly Edgecombe recollecting the, the summer of 1935. A special summer there at the penitentiary when a certain unforgettable inmate arrived, a, a giant, a seven-foot-tall, gentle giant named John Coffey. Now as the story unfolds, you see how this this character, John Coffey, is portrayed in many ways like a, a Christ-like figure. In so many ways, he's detained, he's convicted, he's on death row for, for crimes he didn't commit. And he's a man who also possessed an extraordinary and supernatural gift of healing. You may recall in the story that on one occasion, Coffey resurrects a, a mouse from the dead. On another occasion... He's brought from prison to heal the terminally ill wife of, of the prison warden. But I'm thinking of a particular scene, the one in which Paul, or rather John Coffey, he's developed this friendship with, with Edgecombe, Tom Hanks' character, and he sees the pain that Edgecombe is going through with this internal infection. It's causing him much grief and, and pain, and, and so lovingly, and determined to rid him of it, this gentle giant, he opens wide his mouth, and in a way that only Hollywood could, could portray it, he draws this infection from Edgecombe's body across the room and absorbs it into his own body. All of the present, all of the future sickness and, and pain attached to that destructive sickness and all that it would cause, he draws it from him who suffers into his own body. Well, this is what Scripture says of the real Christ. He himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree. That's how he dealt with the leprosy of our souls. He absorbed it. And friends, that's the real healing. That's the lasting healing, the healing that Christ Jesus won on the cross. It far surpasses 
and far outlasts any other healing that might be done here below, whether it's the healing of those ten lepers or any healing that might be done in your life here below, the healing one on the cross of Christ far outlasts it. All other healing has its little day, but then it's gone. The newly smooth and the fresh skin of those ten lepers, well, it would one day wrinkle again and decay and return to the dust. Or the body of that paralytic, once given strength by Christ, would again lie still. This time not on a mat, but rather in a tomb. Or the eyes of the blind man, once opened by Christ, or the ears of the deaf man. These would again go dim and dark. The sounds would grow faint and finally silent. Even the little daughter of Jairus, who was raised to life from her deathbed, one day she would lie on that deathbed again. Friends, the real healing, the lasting healing, that's yours. That's yours now as you believe what Christ has done for you on the cross and what he will do for us in time. It's yours. It's yours now, but in a sense, not yet. The sin's forgiven, and that's done. And you have his word that is done, and that's real, and that's now. But the not yet, the lasting healing, well, for that you'll have to wait. You'll have to wait like those leprous ten. You'll have to wait in faith to see it. And as you go on your way in faith, believe it. Believe it. That at the last trumpet in the resurrection, you will see it. Lasting healing. You'll see it with your own eyes. Until then, with Job, we wait. We wait for that day when our Lord returns with healing, everlasting healing in his wings. And with Job, we confess what he did so many centuries ago. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. And after this skin of mine is destroyed, this I know. That in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold. That's lasting healing. Friends, you know Christ's character, and you know what he's done. And you know what he's capable of. And you have his word. In his name. Amen.